0: Olympic fans from around the world. This is The Olympic Outsider. On this episode three, me, Dave Thorvald, your host, speaks with 1998 snowboard gold medalist Ross Revliotti. Uh. Hey, right on, we're chugling on with Ross Rebliotti. Yes, indeed, it's that Ross Rebliotti, the hempen hero from 1998 Nagano. He provided me with one of the most thrilling sports moments as a television viewer I've ever experienced. There I was, 3 in the morning, yelling at my television, watching this amazing run. No one gave him a chance, not the announcers, not anyone. But there he was, winning the gold, and then the whole controversy happened. Now, I'm sure a million people have asked you, how does it feel to win a gold medal? So I'm just going to sort of skip that because I've heard enough of that on the, uh, the Olympics recently. <laughs> but what, can you take me through the next couple days and sort of what transpired? Uh, yeah, I was... Um, you know we were hanging out the, at the hotel where
1: the snowboarders uh, were staying uh, up at the ski resort um, outside of the uh, Athletes' Village. And um, I was just kind of... Uh, you know, hanging out with my friends that had uh, raced with me, that we, we were done competing, and then uh, you know, I had my medal, and everybody wanted to look at it, and we were checking it out and talking about the race and everything, and um, and then we, we made it back to our uh, the room where we were hanging out in, and we, there was probably ten guys in there just hanging out and talking about things, and then the coaches came in the room and told everybody. Uh, to leave the room except for me and uh, maybe i better (laughs) sit down so yeah it was kind of um that's how it all kind of came about and um, i got the cold sweats and i was just like well this doesn't sound good at all (laughs) yeah so uh yeah they basically told me that i had failed a a drug test they didn't know what i failed it for and so i was kind of like well, this is going to be a, a, a no problem situation because I'm not taking any performance enhancement drugs and there's no way that you know I could possibly fail the drug test and it's got to be a mistake. And so I just gathered up a bunch of the supplements that I was taking, sports drinks and stuff like that, put them in my backpack to uh, uh, you know, have them analyze the things that i had been ingesting or what have you. And, and uh, they sent me down to, to Nagano yeah, no, from the ski resort so on a bus. Which, um, even though I, I didn't have a clue that um, you know what was about to happen, and nor did I really think that I did anything wrong, I still had this sinking feeling that this is not a good situation <laughs> to be in. And um, this was 24 hours, less than 24 hours after the race. And so I only had the, that, those hours of pure exhilaration, to enjoy uh, winning the Olympics, and then it all went downhill like real quick
0: after that, and uh, it's never felt the same. Uh, would you say that you were treated respectfully by the people, or right away were they, uh, they were they painting you with the tart brush?
1: Well, when I got to Nagano, they, they set me up with the uh, Canadian Canadian Olympics Association representatives, including Caroline Lethren, and. Um, then they, they we got in a car together after I got off the bus and they all mentioned, or they, Caroline mentioned uh, that I had failed uh, a test for um, for weed And... Uh, Did you snicker? I, no, because <laughs> this is something that was part of my, my life for years on end leading up to uh, that moment and we knew that it was going to be somewhat of an issue going into the games and we had gone through great lengths to... Uh, um, educate ourselves and to learn about it, and, and uh, to make sure that it wasn't an issue. And all of a sudden, here it is an, an issue, um, right at the most uh, you know crucial point of my career. So um, it was bad news for sure. And uh, they you know wanted to know if I had any explanation for it. And of course, I didn't really have any explanation other than the fact that I'd been hanging out out with. Uh, People over Christmas and New Years, and a uh, wake that I'd been at for a friend of mine that I dedicated my race to after um, my winning uh, my second run, and um, but I had no idea that uh, secondhand um, smoke could, you know, cause a positive drug test. And just to set it, the record straight, it wasn't uh, on the list of banned substances, and so technically yeah. I didn't
0: fail the drug test. Indeed, and now I also heard on the, on the TV coverage, and of course I'm yelling at the TV for three days from your, from your race for the, well, the rest of the Olympics. I was hauling at the TV by myself because everything was driving me nuts. And I heard that the Japanese police even came in and, and, and interrogated you and want to have a little talk with you.
1: Yeah, they um, um, ha- actually had me into the police station um, in the morning of the day that I got my medal back again. And they had me in a, in a jail cell and interrogated me for four or five hours about uh, the different things about weed, and, and, and you know how I smoked it, and, and why I smoked it, and if I smoked it, and just any kind of question that they. And it was getting a little bit um, out of control because the translator that I was talking through barely could speak English, so I didn't know if she was actually telling this police chief like what I was actually telling her, and um, they had managed to separate me from the um, Canadian RCMP that was with me, and the Canadian Olympic Association representatives that was with me, including Caroline Lethren, and by myself into a cell, and um, it was getting a little bit out of control, and I was starting to feel the reality of the, the situation. Um, while I was in the, the, the cell, they announced that I... Um, they came in and told me that I had, in fact, uh, won my appeal and that I could keep my medal, and that otherwise they weren't gonna, they wouldn't have let me out.
0: So they were actually pressing charges. Unbelievable. Now in Japan, the punishment for possession or cultivation or anything to do with wheat is pretty severe, which is a real contradiction because before World War II, it was a common thing in Japanese culture, not necessarily as a recreational drug, but the high fi- the fiber hemp also has high THC content, and for years it's been used in Shinto and Buddha ceremonies and stuff like that. And right where your run happened, right by there is a town called Miyasa, which means beautiful hemp, and on their town brochure they have a big giant hemp leaf. And, uh, and and you're right in the the belly of hemp culture in Japan. So I thought it was uh, really ironic. But again, this is the country that jailed a beetle. When Paul McCartney arrived, they threw him in jail for several months for uh, having a little bit of reefer in his uh, in his uh, luggage. So not a good place to
1: uh, get in any kind of trouble.
0: Are you a, a folk hero there when you go back there?
1: Yeah, there's. A, I've, even before uh, I went to Nagano I had already travelled to Japan um, close to five or six times over the years for um, World Cup competitions and um, I've had quite a uh, good following from from Japan even before Nagano so I think a lot of eyes were on me um, within the country while I was racing and um, even more so uh, after my race and so uh, when people know that I'm there, then um, they really treat you with respect over there. Right, it's on. a great country.
0: Have you gotten a lot of letters and correspondence from Japan? Anything weird since the, the incident? Anything interesting? No, I haven't. Not
1: from not from the Japanese people.
0: Um, you know, they do
1: have a. Um, they are very reserved and, and um, um, low key, and they, they don't uh, advertise always. Um, What they're thinking, and and, um, but I do know that there is a huge support for me over there, and and, uh, they don't need to tell me. I know that they support me, and uh, I really appreciate it.
0: Right on. So, um, looking beyond 2010, I know you're probably not looking real, real far beyond that. But what are some of the other big picture goals that you've set for for your life? Um, Right now, I think uh, for me to
1: be able to, uh, you know, get through. Get uh, from here to 2010, um, you know, obviously is my main focus, and and after that, uh, you know, I've I've already been doing some broadcasting and and some TV work, and I've done a little bit of acting uh, in some new TV series that are going to be coming out this fall. And so there's those things, and, and, um, you know, I've raced raced stock cars, and I've raced dirt bikes, and I kite sail, and I surf, and, um, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, race in the Paris-Dakar on a motorcycle. That's one of my life goals, and um, so there's just no end to the things I want to do.
0: Holy smokes, maybe my idea for you to go into politics... Maybe it wasn't all that good, man. It seems like you got a lot going on.
1: Well, that has crossed <laughs> my mind as well, but uh, I don't think it gives me enough free time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just mayor of Whistler. Something something easy gives you a little bit of money in the bank. But now I hear you do. Uh, you're you're involved in real estate in Whistler too.
1: Yeah,
0: I've been uh,
1: doing real estate, uh, not as a real estate agent, but just um, privately for myself um, since the. Um, early 90s, I think 91, I bought my first house in Whistler, and um, just by accident, um, you know, I ended up losing a a major sponsor that was covering my mortgage back in 92, and just by accident, uh, when I had to sell my house because of that sponsorship change, um, I made a bunch of money off it in a short uh, period of time, and and, uh, the light bulb went off, and I realized that I could... Um, continue to do that and the the midnight infomercial on TV where it's like no money down buy a house and and flip it and make money that's true Um, it's all real (laughs) that's one of the real ones that's on TV you can actually do that and um, so I've heard it here I've done that uh,
0: several times uh, up in Whistler. Right on and I'm sure the the Whistler real estate market is getting crazy and crazier with the impending 2010 it's um, leveled off uh, just slightly
1: um, after the, the crazy spike that it's had in the last 10 years. But there's no doubt that um, even without 2010, that the real estate market in Whistler is uh, a valuable one and, and one that's uh, a limited one as well, which always keeps um, you know, the investment pretty sure.
0: Now, um, I mentioned earlier that our, our paths have sort of crossed before, and here's a picture of uh, you signing my beloved uh, Team Canada sign at the women's Half-Pipe snowboarding. And I got to mm-hmm. admit that, that like I've met a lot of like I um, say famous people and stuff, but I was totally like excited to meet you because of that you had the cojones to stand up and not give up your medal and go through all that stuff with the Japanese police and. If you'll indulge me in a brief anecdote, I I had an internet company and we sold it to an evil telephone company. And then one day I got that call, Uh, uh, Dave, we want you down to the office, uh, down to the main office. And I was like, oh geez, what's going on? So I sort of delayed, bought some time, brought along my business partners and we went into this office and they're like, no, everyone else leave, but I just want Dave here. And they've flown up the Vice President for Human Resources up from California and made this big to-do. And they're like, uh, Dave, there was uh, accusations that you were uh, smoking marijuana at the company yeah. golf tournament. And my first reaction was, say, well, it's the only way to make golf interesting. You know, it's it's, it's slow. There's no checking, you know. Uh, but they said, uh, in order to keep your job, here's the form to go get your uh, drug test. And I took the form and I left and I wrote them a letter saying I refused to take the drug test. I had my lawyer send them a letter and then I bought, a, bought myself a ticket to Belize. And because uh, I thought, well, I'll lose my job for sure, right? But whatever, I'm not going to piss in their, in their thing because then all my other buddies and all the other guys at work, they'll one by one, they'll weed them out. So I said, no, I refuse to take your test because for this, this, and this. And it's not really a banned substance in their drug and alcohol policy. In my case, it said drug and alcohol, drug and alcohol. And at the event, they were driving around with shot carts, you know, here, have some more Yukon Jack and a Dixie cup. So right. I felt that my transgression wasn't any worse than that. Plus, I was trying to entertain clients, you know and uh, you want to you want give them a little herbal respite if they request it. So I was in Belize, killed 10 days reading War and Peace and just sort of chilling out, letting it all cool over. And I went back expecting to lose my job, and they said, rather than a punitive strategy, we've decided to take a coaching strategy and offer you rehab, which, <laughs> which was mildly amusing. I, I did decline the rehab and instead celebrated with uh, with a big fatty. But that's... Uh, <laughs> As for uh, but I wanted to thank you for providing that inspiration from your incident in Nagano to give me a, give me that needed strength. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, twenty ten. What's your uh, what's your daily training regimen look like for you preparing right now? Well, uh, right now I'm riding uh, every day.
1: Um, I'm running gates uh, on Blackcomb, and uh, you can most days come and see me training uh, on at the Pontiac Race Center on Jersey Cream, and. Um, other than that I have a pretty um, extensive kickboxing regime that I go through and um have a coach that's uh from the, the Russian army that <laughs> defected here like 20 years ago and he's really hardcore and um I've got a gym set up in my uh in the basement of my house with the weights and um you know punching bags and, and the whole nine yards and, and so uh that's what I'm going to be doing uh for the rest of the winter, and then this summer I'll be um, you know, getting back into like my, the wind sports with the kite sailing and continuing on with uh, the kickboxing and, and also training at Mount Hood,
0: Mount Bachelor, and then on to Europe in the fall. Um, any uh, thing that people out there can do to support you, whether they be uh, private individuals or companies? Yeah, um, write a letter to Roots and t- <laughs> tell them how much uh, you know they should
1: keep supporting me but you know the you roots know bought okay. that roots
0: hockey jersey over there just because i saw you wearing roots and i just wanted to be a club you know well i, I gotta
1: <laughs> um thank roots for all their support and uh you know I'm, i am looking right now for a headspace sponsor and uh, a speed suit sponsor which is quite a lot of uh, signage and then um you know there's right now like it, does, it still costs me you know, to, to get out there on, on the tour and to do what I'm doing, and, and uh, it's real tight. Um, it's hard to put into words and to make people believe that I need the sponsorship, but I do need the sponsorship, and uh, you know, it's not getting any cheaper.
0: Well, as we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of countries out there who give their athletes full stipend, pay for coaching, pay for accommodations, take all that financial worry off, so they just have to just do sport. Um, I, I'm curious to, to, to know if there's any sponsors who dropped you after the incident, so I, I can I can no longer purchase their product. Yeah, there are there are uh, there is one
1: sponsor that that dropped me after the Olympics, and even to mention them would give them uh, all right marketing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, indeed. So it better not to even mention who they were. But yeah, I had major uh, sponsorship leading into the Olympics, and uh, was definitely. Uh, Roots picked up the slack uh, from that and yeah. they've, they've stood behind me ever since. You can go on to uh, rossrebliati.com where I have uh, a new website and uh, there's you can leave me messages and, and uh, you know. I'll, you know you yes, it's blogified if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so you, yeah, you can definitely go to rossrebliati.com.
0: And that's R-E-B-G-L-I-A-T-I. No. no. Oh, damn it.
1: all right It's R-E-B-G-L-I-A-T-I. Rebliati.com.
0: Uh, yeah, Ross com. Yeah, say that three times. <laughs> um, uh, any advice you can give to young fledgling Olympians? Uh, yeah, just if you've got a a goal um,
1: to become an Olympic athlete, uh, is it's, if you devote your 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 life to that goal, uh, it's definitely an attainable thing. It's not. It's not that you can't do it, it's just making the time and, and uh, committing to it.
0: That's the big thing. Excellent. Well, I'm on board for your, to, with support for your 2010 campaign, and whether it happens or not, I know you're going to be an enormous success. You're going to influence a lot of people's lives. And even if you have to snowboard for Liechtenstein to get your spot in the Olympics, man, I'm going to still be out there with my signed Ross Rebliotti, Canada sign on the sidelines, hollering my guts out. Awesome. Um, and enjoy the article. Learn more about hemp in Japan because, uh, like I said, there's this whole hidden history that the Japanese police didn't fill you in on. And thank you for uh, uh, revealing those candid moments. I know that was a, a challenging time, but, man, you're, you're tougher than nails for getting through that. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming along with The Olympic Outsider. My name is Dave Thorvald. Check out more stuff at www.uncleweed.net. My thanks, of course, go to Ross Revliotti, his lovely wife Alex, my buddy Brett for taking some pictures for this enhanced podcast, Bright Rain City Studios, and all those guys for putting on the symposium, and you for tuning along and listening. Go Canada!